my blood going. Now that might date me a little bit. That there song back in, I mean that uh, TV show back in the late 60s, early 70s was one of my favorite TV shows. And that theme song from Mission Impossible would come on and I'm like, yeah, let me at it. I want to go on an adventure. I want to be a covert agent of something and I want to solve a big problem and help the world kind of deal. Now how many of you remember that TV series. Come on, date yourself. As a few of you, and some of you are raising your hands and it's not possible. Okay, but they did try to bring it back later in the 80s and then they had um, uh, a film series that Tom Cruise did called Mission Impossible. In fact, I think they're doing a fifth film on that, starting to film next year on it. So there's that familiarity with Mission Impossible. That, you know, remember how it always would start, right? Uh, it would have, you know, I think it was Peter Graves or uh, forget the guy's name, and uh, he, uh, he was Jim, at least the ones I remember mostly, I guess there was another guy too, but uh, he would get a tape recording and an envelope. Remember that? And there'd be pictures in the envelope, a special tape recording, and then it would start out and say, you know, if you would so choose to accept this mission, and then it would define the mission, right, what it was, and then it would come back and it'd say, if you or one of your agents uh, are to be uh, uh, kidnapped or discovered or killed, the secretary will deny anything about the existence, right? And then, then it says what? The famous lines go like, this tape will, in how many seconds? Five seconds normally, right? And then, then the last line was, good luck, Jim. And then the tape, what? It starts smoldering, right? And it smokes and it dissipates. And you're like, yeah, they're on their mission to go after some, you know, uh, evil in the world kind of deal. Mission impossible. And um, I don't know why, but last night as I was going to bed, I threw it on Christmas morning. I'm like, I, oh, I want to lead off with that. Because today we're talking about the mission. We talked about the man, the son of man, God himself. We talked about the message, the message of the full gospel of the kingdom of God. But today, the mission, if you would so choose to accept it, is to take the full gospel of the kingdom of God to the entire world. And there is something exhilarating about that, or at least it should be, that resonates within you because you get to be a part of this special elite force of agents on the behalf of God Almighty to forward His mission to the ends of the earth. And a lot of times you get bogged down by the weariness and the discouragement of your day 
and you lose sight of this grander vision and calling upon your life. Why? Because I know it's true in my life. Even I'm a pastor. It's what I do. But you can get your head down just trying to plow away with, you know, meeting this need and doing that thing and preparing for this and doing those administrative details. And I have to step back and go, my mission that I've accepted is to take the kingdom of God to the entire world. And I get to do this. We get to do this. That should resonate somewhere within you. And if it doesn't, I just simply say this morning, lay it before God and ask him to freshly assign you to a mission if you so choose. And hopefully nothing will go up and smoke in your life and you won't be captured or you won't be killed, but that you will be on an exciting excursion with God Almighty and the community of Christ around you. You know, I was very discouraged this week, as maybe you were. They started to highlight on national news uh, this knockout game. Have you seen that? And I was thinking how tragic this is where teenagers uh, just walk up to someone and the goal, them unknowing, is to knock them out in one punch. And so these videos start to emerge on YouTube and whatever, and it's become sort of this game, this really sick game across the nation. People even died from it. I read something the other day. One guy got knocked out, and, and he fell. He, he had some brain injuries, but he fell uh, on an iron rod that just pierced him straight through the chest, and he passed away. How incredibly stupid, cruel is that kind of thing? But then they ask the teenagers, well, why are you doing this? And someone says, oh, just for fun. And then the others said what? We're bored. You're bored? You're, you're bored, and so you just walk up and whop somebody upside the head? What's that? Now, we can sit back in judgment and get real critical. But here, here's my deal, and I mentioned it last week a little bit with the message and where youth are at with the message and the need for us to really challenge them more. Maybe people are bored. Maybe teenagers are bored because they're not challenged with something of significance in their life to give themselves to. Maybe they're just a product of our culture that says everything is about you, your needs, your entitlement, your space. And we don't call them out for what they were intended to be. We are intended to be children of the Most High God. And in a broken and fallen world, sin and the adversary and all that goes with it, Jesus has redeemed us to use us to forward his kingship on this earth to the whole world but to every corner and crevice. I don't know what would have happened in my life. Trust me, I trust I wouldn't have gone into a knockout game. But early on, when I was 15 years old, I was challenged to give my life to a worthy cause, to a worthy mission. And I'm here to share with you this morning, if you're bored, if you're weary of the mundane, if the problems in your life in a material way are stacking over you, in a physical way are stacking over you, well, our prayers and thoughts are with you in that on a personal level. But I want to do something more than just sort of patch things up and make you feel better and life go easy. Because the ultimate reality is life doesn't ultimately go easy. Jesus never promised an easy life, but he did promise an adventurous life. And my prayer is that you would gain a, gain a fresh heart for the mission of God and that you would participate in it. And so I began in an early age in my life, by God's grace and influences around me, to align my interests according to his mission. I had some youth leaders in front of me that 
you know, I was uh, encouraging Ryan this last week a lot. You, you never remember what they say or the lessons, but you remember the person that was your youth leader. And Ryan's one of these people that, you know, he's lived his life with the kids that remember his godliness and his leadership in that. And it's not like he passes away here. I mean, he's still part of the community moving forward and maybe still help with the youth around here. But it's, it's that idea that if, if you have somebody before you or around you that's encouraging you or you're participating in, maybe it's a small group member, maybe it's been a pastor in your past, maybe it's just a friend that's sojourning with you. And together you say, I, I want what they got. And I'm so thankful that I was called out to something beyond just gaining material wealth, getting an education, building a portfolio, having a nice, safe family. All, not, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. I was called out on mission. Now, last week I had you turn to the back of your note sheet and write out the answer to what the gospel is. And I'm not going to have you do that today, but because we verbalized some, uh, some words of praise last week and we had some prayer uh, initiatives, I think that, you know, I'm getting you guys to be more interactive, so I'm going to try a little interactive thing here. I have another question for you. You don't have to write it on the back of your uh, note sheet, but I do need you to speak up, and it's going to be a very simple one because it's one of these, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear, okay? What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear? And so you've got to grab the first thing that comes to your mind, okay? What's the first thing that comes, and, and, and when it comes, some of you are going to volunteer your answer, all right? out loud all right so what's the first thing that comes to your mind maybe it's a phrase maybe it's a definition maybe it's a picture in your head what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word mission mission all right so we'll, we'll start here one time what was it mexico mexico missions because we've done missions in mexico mission what comes to your mind What's that? Okay, so that's a like an urban mission. It's a church mission. Okay. What else come to your mind when you hear the word Indiana boy? <laughs> we are a mission. <laughs> okay, carrying the light of Jesus. Freedom for people. Out of your comfort zone. That's good. What else? Mission. Somebody's hand up all the way in the back. Traveling? Good. Somebody else besides yourself. <laughs> or somebody else gets to do that job, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. That's true. Mission. Kids. Okay. One or two more. Mission. Hunger. The needs that are represented. All right? It's a command. Command of our Lord, right? All right? Well, I want you to be on a journey of developing a healthy concept when you hear the word mission or missions. Because it's going to define who we are as a body of people in this church and the journey that we're on. And that's just not something we put on a wall. It's something that we live out and that we own. I want to share with you a little bit of a story. actually starts with a few pictures of what comes to my mind when I first would hear the word mission. Back when I was a young kid, I grew up in a Christian Missionary Alliance church of which we're a part of. 
we would have missionaries come, and you had a missionary from Spain, I believe, just a month ago or whatever. We had a center aisle at my Alliance Church, and all the kids, little kids, when the missionaries would come, and remember, this is back in the 70s, right? They would come with the slides, and you didn't, you didn't have the Internet back then. You didn't have cable TV back then. You didn't have a lot of the niceties we have now that we're sort of in the loop more globally, right? And so they would come, and they would pull out their slideshow, and they would share stories. And us kids, we would all just go sit in the aisle. And we'd just sit there in the aisle. We'd get to lay down the aisle. That's one of those times it was okay to lay down in church. <laughs> we'd lay down, and we'd listen to the missionaries share about what they were doing in some faraway place. Faraway place. Well, the Christian Missionary Alliance in the 50s, actually it was 1954, I believe when they first went into this particular valley that you're seeing right here. And those missionaries began to circle back around and do tour visits back in the States. And so you know, in the late 60s and the early 70s, um, we had missionaries from the Christian Missionary Alliance that came from this particular valley. This valley is the Balim Valley. The Balim Valley is in a place in Indonesia. I'll pinpoint it here on the map a little bit more. But the next picture shows uh, what is perceived as this valley that was in the highlands of Papua, uh, Indonesia, is where it's at. And this valley, some people refer to this valley as the Jurassic Park. Literally untouched. Tens and hundreds of thousands of native people that were in this valley, but they had not been touched by Western culture or anything. The Dutch finally, who were occupying this area at the time, allowed missionaries to go in in the 50s, and they would fly planes in, and they would land their planes on these waterways. In fact, the church I was just most recently at, one of our elders was with uh, Mission Aviation Fellowship, and he was one of the guys that used to fly into this valley. You want to talk about sitting down with an elderly man had some stories. He had some stories. They would fly into this valley, and they began to make contact with these natives. These natives actually were cannibalistic. Some of you may have known the story of the Balim Valley, of what the Alliance did, and a few other missionary agencies started to operate at that time. But the Balim Valley is located in the Indonesian islands, with this next slide here. And um, it's located in West Papua, and that's... Australia down at the bottom, so literally it's just about 100 miles or so off of Australia. But this island was uh, one of the second largest island, I believe, in the world. And uh, the Balain Valley is where that little square is that's right up at the top. And the Christian Missionary Alliance has always been about going their missions to where people have not been reached and touched. And these would be some of the pictures I saw as a kid. And so when the word missions came up to me, this is what I would see in my mind. I would see these photographs. Now, I also had a problem growing up, growing up as a kid because whenever they talked about really giving your life to Jesus, what I thought that meant was that I had to go live with them. <laughs> I can't give my life 100% to God. He's going to go make me be a missionary to people that run around that are sort of naked and have all kinds of weird customs. Like the ladies up here in the left-hand corner. You see how they don't have fingers? They would cut fingers off when relatives died. They didn't do it with the men because the men had to farm and work the fields. 
that there is a mummified leader on the right. Some tribal leader was around. Of course, he's getting a, a pig ready there to eat in the bottom picture. But that was indicative of just some of the primitive practices that they had. And of course, they worshipped spirits, their animus. And so as the missionaries came in and began to articulate the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God, there was sort of mixed reaction. Some people end up giving their lives in many ways. I remember one missionary pilot not making it after he had gone in for a number of times and his plane crashed. But you started to realize that God was at work in some ways with these people already. And today, if you were to go look at the Balin Valley, what once was barren spiritual turf for the kingdom of God, if you're to fly into the Balin Valley today, you will see a lot of uh, shiny roofs in different parts of the whole valley. You know what those shiny roofs are? They're churches. Because God began to lead many of these people and tribes to follow hard after him. You know, one of the interesting things was they had not seen light-skinned people before, but they had this, this uh, legend or whatever that the snake was a good thing because the snake would shed its skin and the snake knew how to bring about eternal life. And so when they saw a light-skinned person, they thought, this person has shed their skin like a snake and they must have the answer for eternal life. Now, isn't that weird how God uses something like that to open up doors? The alliance went in with a lot of passion and heart to help the sickness of the people, and so they brought penicillin. God's used through penicillin, healing people, and then they began praying over other kinds of sicknesses and illnesses that penicillin sometimes couldn't stop, and God would heal them. And before you knew it, this valley that had been untouched for years upon years, cannibalistic in many ways, began to turn to Christ. And there's vibrant ministry happening there today. I tell you what, I'd hear stories like that, and though part of me would be a little bit fearful, like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen to me if I really sell out to Jesus? I have to go there, and my thought was I have to run around with people that wear G-strings, and then I'd have to marry someone who had their hair done up in a bun, and we'd have a boring life. <laughs> I mean, that's what I thought. As a 15-year-old, and I shared it, that's what I thought. But then when I started to realize, if that's where God was calling me to on the mission, and whatever wife he put me with, I would be more excited and happier there than anywhere because I want to be on mission with what God's doing. So that's a view of the Balim Valley. Here's a view of another valley. You recognize that valley? I almost didn't. It's sort of green, but after the rain this week, I believe it might get green. <laughs> That's our Temecula Valley. Do you think God sees a difference between the people in the Balin Valley and the people in the Temecula Valley? Does he? He is patient and loving, and he died for everyone, and he desires that all would be saved and come into not only the knowledge of him, but come into a dynamic vibrant life in the kingdom of God, both in this day and into the eons of eternity. And guess what? This is your mission, if you so choose to take it. Let's rock the valley for Jesus Christ. We have 
been gifted a privilege. Not only is this local body, but all local bodies that are serious about Jesus Christ to join arms together and bring the kingdom of God to the entire world, beginning in our valleys and to the unreached valleys of the world. It's very important for us as individuals, as family units, as small groups, as a church, to get first things first when it comes to understanding what mission or missions is about. Missions is not something that the church does. Like a program. You guys, as a church, we went to Mexico on mission trips for a few years. Didn't go last year. We see that. We raise support. We invest our lives. We go and we help people, right? We share good news. Many times what happens, though, is we start to see that as a special project that we do. A certain week of the year. But it's not a certain week of the year. The missions is what all of this is about. We are a result of a mission of God. We are on a mission for God. This verse uh, I highlighted last week, I share it with you again this morning, is found in Matthew 24. And this verse was used by the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance to bring a lot of encouragement to the followers of his day to go out. How did the alliance end up being like first missionary sending agency to land people in the Baleen Valley? Because A.B. Simpson, who founded the alliance, would stand up in New York City and he would preach this. He would go to camp conferences around the New England area and preach this. Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. He used it as a motivating factor to take the gospel of the kingdom to the whole world, but the reality was Jesus said this, and it's something we should do, yea, nay, as to what it means about the end of the world. Jesus says this gospel, we talked about last week, we'll look at it again in a second, of the kingdom, it will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, all people groups, even those that are in a high highland valley area that have never been touched before. Jesus is at work on this mission. He calls us into this mission. This mission has been ongoing. We have the famous Great Commission that we focus on. Great Commission comes out of Matthew 28. The last words Jesus has given to his disciples in that particular book. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now, the interesting thing I want to highlight in this, and I, I put make disciples there, is that there's four verbs in here. There is the go, there is the make disciples, there is the baptizing, and then um, there's the teaching. But the main verb in this is to make disciples. We looked at it last week, not just merely make decisions and cross some line of faith, but deep into the kingdom of God, followers of Jesus Christ. But to make disciples, though it raises up as the prominent action verb in his, the verb go is an interesting one. The word go here is in a verb tense that is assumed. So a lot of times we say, let's go, let's, let's go overseas, let's go to these urban missions, let's go to an inner city, let's go to Mexico, right? And so it's go, go, go. Well, in this phrasing of the way Jesus put it, it's not go as the main action. Go is assumed. 
How many of you are planning on sleeping in this building tonight? <laughs> You're not. I wouldn't recommend it at least, even though the chairs can be comfy. You are going to go from here. And so this go is as you go. It's assumed that you're going. You're probably going to go to lunch. You're maybe going to go to somebody's house today. You're going to get up and go to work tomorrow. You're going to take the kids to school. As you go along the way, make disciples. And sometimes we get all freaked out about this thing of God's calling in our life and mission. What does that mean? Do I need to go door to door? Am I going to have to, you know, get, get myself all trained and go overseas or, you know, get some type of special training for medicine or something? What does all that mean? Well, friends, don't worry about that right now. God may lead you to some of those things. He may call you into even a vocational kind of ministry or actually get paid to do ministry. That's sort of cool. But, friends, there is no distinguishing mark between those who are the clergy, the professional missionaries, and lay people or those who are not getting vocationally paid. All of us are disciples of Jesus Christ seeking to obey everything that we've been instructed. And as we go in our lines of work, we are being witnesses to the kingdom of God. Ryan was sharing with me this week. He was up helping his dad out. His dad has cancer, and he's trying to help him do some yard work or whatever. And uh, it was a neighbor and a friend of a neighbor's or whatever. Ryan ends up leading the neighbor's friend to Jesus Christ while he goes up and does work for his dad in Riverside. Now, how cool is that? Ryan, you didn't go up there going, I am going to go up there. I'm going to witness to this person. No, he went up there, and in the process of helping his dad and interacting with the neighbor he's known for a while, here was an opportunity, and he shared the faith. The person received Jesus, came into the kingdom of God as he was going. Now, that's a really God story, right? But you have those kinds of God stories. Or you may have some of those God stories right around the corner, and you don't even know it. You don't even know it. In the letter um, that I framed up this week for heading into the Christmas season and a Christmas uh, offering that we're going to receive and stuff, I put in there, some people are only one ask away from joining you to come and be a part of church. Now, that's not necessarily what we're trying to do, just get them in our doors and come serve. But it's this idea that as you go, you have a witness, and some people only want to ask away, maybe coming into your home, having them come over for the holidays, maybe you know, want to ask away from just being able to sit down with them at breakfast and pray for them over something that's happening in their life. As you go, make disciples. That's your mission if you so choose to accept it. Will it be easy? Not necessarily. Could there be rejection? Sure. The idea of the lordship of Jesus Christ is offensive to people. We live very self-centered lives. We have our own agendas. Our world tells us that we're to be entitled people. And you're smacking up against that when you talk about the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God's about what? The king. Last week we looked at the gospel. I won't go back through it again, but I put a diagram on your note sheet for you to be able to think back through it. The gospel of God, the gospel of the kingdom, is not just about getting people to make a decision. Okay? At the foundation is articulating, both in word and deed, the story of the kingdom of God. From the beginning of creation, Israel, Jesus coming, the church age, to a new heaven and a new earth, there is this huge epic story that we get to impart and share with people. When those people landed in the Balim Valley and they began learning the language and interacting with their stories and the myths and those kinds of things, they began porting in 
an understanding of what these people have been going through, but then began painting the vision of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. But then the story of Jesus was smack in the middle of that. The birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, the appearance of Jesus Christ. You begin articulating the story of Jesus, and you put it in your own terms. This is what I've discovered to be true. And maybe you don't have all the answers to some tough questions they might ask. You know, you can just simply say, I don't know. And then I'll tell you to give them Jeremy's phone number, and they can call Jeremy. (laughs) The story of Jesus. And then there's a time, a plan of salvation. Ryan, you put that into play this week, did you? Here's the information. Here's the belief you need that you have to repentance, turn from this, and have faith. And then there's the persuasion, justification element, the gospel. I love this saying from a uh, a very... um, famous pastor in the U.S., maybe you know him, maybe you don't, his name's Bill Hybels, and I'd go to Bill Hybels conferences back in the Midwest, and, and I remember one message, and he was, he was just preaching away at us church leaders and talking about the local church is the hope of the world because we steward the life-giving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are the hope of the world, not because we're it. Trust me, we're not it. But we steward the gospel. Jesus is the king, has been the king, will always be the king. He comes out of the kingdom of God, the Father. And the mission that we're on comes from God. You remember when Jesus, he, um, he was taken to trial. I think the scriptures say in John 18 somewhere, it says something in reference to, uh, therefore, Pilate entered the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, So, are you the king of the Jews? I wish I could have been there. (laughs) Jesus, toying with Pilate a little bit. Oh, um, do you ask this on your own initiative? Or did somebody else tell you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you up to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I might not be delivered up to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Pilate said, oh, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, he says, you say rightly. You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born and this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone is of the truth. Here's my voice. And what did Pilate say? Pilate said, ah, what is truth? It wasn't like, oh, what's truth? No, he's like, truth, what's that? I just don't want you causing problems here and get me in trouble with Caesar. Are you king? What's the deal? Jesus, understanding the full reality of all the universe, the one who created it, my kingdom is not of this world as my servants would fight. But whoever's of the truth, hears my voice and comes follows me. The people you and I minister to, God's working on us. We participate in his ministry. Here's the voice. Follows after him as the king of kings and the lord of lords. This is your mission if you so choose to take it on. It may not be easy, but I tell you what, it will be rewarded without question. As we wrestle with the king and the kingdom, I want you to remember these words that Jesus said to his disciples after his resurrection. 
It comes in John 20. Jesus appeared to them, if you recall. They didn't quite understand all that was going on, but here he was, doubting Thomas and all. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. There's two things I want you to pull out of this verse. Here's Jesus himself commissioning his agents to take on the mission of God. This is a corporate word. So when he says, peace with with you, it's a plural. We do not go on mission as solo operators. Jesus was adamant about that because he knew he was sending us out like lambs among wolves. We do it together as a community, as small pockets of community, friendships, whatever it may be. So it's a corporate kind of commissioning. And when he's sending them out, he breathed on them, and what did they receive? The Holy Spirit. So as you go out, it's really the presence of Jesus through you and through the community of people uh, that are followers of Christ, and you go with the full empowerment. Man, friends, this is what, this is on the other side of the resurrection. The guy was dead. They saw him crucified. They saw him on the gra- in the grave. Stone was rolled in front of it. Jesus breaks the power of death. He begins to make these appearances. They're spooked because they didn't predict this. And Jesus says, the very same spirit that raised me from the dead is the spirit that will possess you as I send you out. Now, friends, that's a lot better than a manila envelope and a little piece of tape recording that goes up in smoke. (laughs) The Holy Spirit is upon us as a community to go out on the mission of God. It is not our mission. It's the mission of God. In fact, this idea of sending, the Father has sent me. Catch this. It's Trinitarian. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God the Father sent His Son to this earth. The Son lived, died, raised from the grave, ascended to the heavens, and then He sent His Spirit. So the Father sends the Son. The Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit. And then the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit send who? You and me. And we're sent with the full empowerment of the Spirit. And we are sent out, not on our mission, not on our little logo that we put in a bulletin. What we are sent out is on the high mission of God to take the kingdom of God to the entire world, beginning on our own street, in our own cubicles, on our own work projects. We are disciples of Jesus Christ, uniquely disguised as fill in the blank. We are kingdom agents of God's mission. We are sent out. And so with that triangle, I want to go back and add two words to it. The church, the culture, as well as the gospel. Maybe you've heard the term missional or missional church. My heart resonates for being a missional church. But the concept of missional church is not just some new lingo to say, oh, a new and improved kind of church, or here's a new evangelistic strategy, or a new game. No, Missional describes the very heart of all that's going on with God and his kingdom as it relates to the church and our world. And so missional is not some defined, here's the nice, tight definition of what a missional church is. In one aspect, the missional church is is a church that has 
its definition as well as its very organization hovering around what it means to be an agent of God on his mission for the entire world till the end of time. But missional really means that we are in a dialogue tension of discussion. In fact, I like the term missional conversation. We are having conversations. There is no, here's the blueprint, here's the new plan, this is what Chorus Church is going to do to really be missional. I don't know. I know God of mission knows. And I know he's called us to do it together. And I know that he sends us out by the power of his spirit. And there is a healthy dialogue that's going to go on in this missional conversation between what is the gospel, and we describe what that is, what is the church called to be, and what is the culture that's around us? How do we identify with that? And what's the alternative culture that the church needs to be to call people into? And so there's this missional conversation that's going on as we move out on mission. But it's not our mission. You know, there's some redefinition we're looking at. You know, should we redefine a mission statement? Even looking at rebranding. Is there the church have a name change? Even all those kinds of things have been floating around. But here's the deal. All that you can do. You can have a nice mission statement. In fact, if somebody says it's not what's on the wall uh, down the hall, it's what you do when walking out with it. And so I'm really interested in us owning the process of the missional discussion and discovering over the course of weeks, months, and years, what does it mean? to take the kingdom of God to the entire world. And so we're having this dialogue, the gospel, the culture, and the church. And through this conversation, God's going to give us marching orders, maybe as small groups, maybe as individuals, maybe church-wide, and we move forward. I want to give you a phrase. This phrase has been around actually from the 50s and 60s. A man started using it. It's called Missio Dei. Missio Dei means the mission of God or the sending of God. That's what missional is. We don't have a mission. God has a mission. It's Trinitarian. The Father sent the Son. The Son sent the Spirit. And they all send us. It's about what He's doing, not what we're doing. This is a difficult route sometimes because we have to wrestle with it. We have to evaluate in different kinds of ways. But this is what I want us to be doing as a church having conversations about what it means to be on God's mission. You with me? And I want you to begin asking these questions. If this is true, if it's God's mission, it's not ours, then we need to ask, what is God doing in this valley? We need to ask, what do you want to do in this valley? And then we need to start making it personal. God, what do you want me and my friends and my small group and my peers to do? And listening. The still small voice, the prompting of the Spirit. His mission's ongoing, and we leave this building this morning to engage that mission. Magellan was the navigator who had ships that circled the whole earth for the very first time. He just simply wanted to find a different route to get to the Spice Islands, which were actually down by those Indonesian islands we just looked at. And so he wanted to take a westward route to the Americas, and he thought he could get around the Americas and beyond and get to the Spice Islands, the Magellan Straits of the south part of Africa. (coughs) He sailed through, made his way to that part of the world, was actually killed in a battle in the Philippines, but one of his partner guys finally 
got the spices and the Spice Islands and made his way all the way back to Spain. Took three years to do it. When Magellan set out on that mission, he didn't have very good maps. In fact, they were quite inadequate. Word had come back to him, some maps had come back to him, but they weren't all that great. He had five ships he started with. They ended with one, but the ships weren't very good. Not very adequate. And the plans that he had devised, he just made some bad mistakes in some places. But when we launch out on this mission to take the kingdom of God to the entire world, I sort of feel like we're Magellan. We know that we need to press out and we need to go. I don't know how it's all going to be defined. But I do know this. In the kingdom of God and being on his mission, the spirit of Jesus himself is with us. Greater works than these will you do because I go to the Father. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Go make disciples of all nations. And lo, I'm with you always to the very end. May we commit ourselves. May you begin praying this week. God, what do you want to do in the valley? What do you want to do in my life? What's your mission? I will participate in that. Here is my life. Lord, I don't know all that this means. Maybe one of these days, three years down the road, we'll look back on all the journey, the shipwrecks, difficulties. We'll look, we'll look back on the journey that was well-lived and well-pursued. May you take our lives as a community of people and stick us into your mission this week. Give us ears to hear what you hear. May our heart be broken about what your heart's broken about. And Lord, may you empower us with the full resurrection power that the Spirit brought into your life to encounter and be your missional agent for your kingdom's work to the entire world. May a blessing abide on us this hour and the next and the next and the next. In your name we pray. Amen. Ushers are going to come. Worship team is going to come back and sing a concluding song. Receive the Lord's tithes and offerings for the purpose of the mission. If you have your communication card and there's a specific prayer request, I'd like us to know about that. Or if there's a specific commitment you feel God's called you to today, I would enjoy praying with you. If you want to mark that commitment down, I'll be glad to touch base and follow up. Let's sing together and receive the Lord's offering.